Leadership. All my life, I've been fascinated by what makes a good leader. Are good leaders born or made? Can leadership be taught? How do leaders lead if people don't trust to even listen? I grew up in Arkansas. Now I live and work in the innovation heartland of Northern California. During these last years of constant crisis, I've thought more deeply about what leadership is and what it takes to lead people, especially when trust is in limited supply. That's why I decided to create this podcast and reach out to changemakers from different disciplines to hear what they have to say. As the host of this show, the most important things I can do are two things I learned in medical school, to ask good questions and then listen. Hello, I'm Lloyd Miner, Dean of the Stanford School of Medicine, and welcome back to the Miner Consult. It's my privilege to welcome this week's guest, Emmy and Golden Globe-nominated producer, Jennifer Todd. Her credits include more than two dozen major comedies, thrillers, and dramas, ranging from the Austin Powers franchise to the movie Jason Bourne to reimaginings of Alice in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass. A governor for the producer's branch of the Academy of Motion Picture, Arts, and Sciences, Jennifer has twice served as the producer of the televised Academy Awards ceremony. And she's currently producing films under her banner, Jennifer Todd Pictures. Over the course of more than two decades, Jennifer has been instrumental in bringing us truly memorable TV series, movies, and specials, and she has led large, complex productions at the highest levels of entertainment. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for joining me today, and welcome. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So, Jennifer, we've had guests on this podcast from politics, journalism, innovators, and authors, but you're our first from the world of film and television. What led you to pursue a career as a producer? Well, I'm honored to be in their company, and I, like I said, I hope I can uh, I hope I can be enlightened today. Um, I I grew up in L.A. and my parents were not in the film business, but I happened to go to a school that a lot of parents were, and so I, it it was I had the unusual insight to know that it was possible as a career. I think at the at that time, a lot of people didn't know that you actually could do that for a living. Um, it kind of combined with my um, parents' divorce. And while they were going through what they were going through, my sister and I spent a lot of time at the movie theater uh, out in the Valley. We grew up in the San Fernando Valley in LA and we really loved movies. Uh, my middle sister, I have two older sisters. And so it was sort of the combination of those things that led us both actually to want to work in the business. It was sort of a passion for it. And then, you know, like I said, my, not seeing my parents, but seeing friends' parents who were film producers or television producers and thinking, oh, you could actually, I could actually do that. That's a real job. Exactly. And uh, you must get a lot of ideas presented to you for, for television series, for movies, for other types of content. How do you choose which ones and which stories you bring to life? What do you look for? It's a great question and it's changed as I've gotten older. I think when I was younger and in the business and, you know, passionate, I would try, I would, I would take on things that I thought would be commercial or other people would like. And then I realized as a producer, you really have to see it yourself. So your taste has to be your taste, you know, and there's a lot of movies that got made that I don't, don't that I enjoy, but I wouldn't have known how to make. So I think first and foremost, I, I, 
pick things that really speak to me that I want to see. And they can be comedies and dramas. As you said, I have made a, I've been lucky enough to make a lot of different kind of content. But first and foremost, it has to be something that I, that I want to see and that I feel like I know how to tell. And then beyond that, then obviously uh, it depends on what kind of material and how difficult it is. And, and, you know, the business changes, has changed so much and continues to change that you're always kind of figuring out where and if you can make something. And what type of special challenges have come about during COVID-19 for you as a producer, as you, as you bring together people um, to make things happen? What challenges have you encountered because of the pandemic? Well, there's quite a few challenges. The first is the, the state of the theatrical film. Right. Unfortunately, movie theaters were as, as people's home televisions have grown, you know, uh, people have been going to the movie theaters less and less, which is very sad for us who grew up going, you know, having the, the experience. But so, you know, theatrical movies were already in a state of of decreasing and things like the Marvel movies and uh, Illumination movies like Despicable Me, you know, kids movies, horror. Those ones were still playing. But for the most part, you know, we were already having it was already shrinking and. Uh, and because of, like I said, because of technology in people's homes, theaters, and then in, in addition, streaming, people were staying home more. Then COVID hit and just, you know, and just pushed it, accelerated it much faster than it was even going. So now there's a lot of theatrical film, th movies that I would have made to go into a theater 10, year, 10, 15 years ago that now would only be considered streaming movies. Let me give you an example, uh, like a romantic comedy. I used to get to make things like Must Love Dogs and Prime, and they came out in the theaters. Now those films, if I was making them, would only live on Amazon, Netflix, you know. I mean, and Netflix does very well. They have a lot of YA romance. You know, they have they have all these kind of subgenres, but that's all really changed. Um, so it's been interesting trying to keep on your feet. And it's been also interesting trying to figure out what you can make that would still go in a theater, you know. Then on top of it, the, the COVID issues, like every business, added just a lot of cost to filmmaking. And I got to make one film uh, last May. It was actually just a four-day shoot. It's called Come From Away. We went into a Broadway theater. It's a Broadway show. It's really beautiful about um, the, the town of Gander, Canada, who took in all these people off the planes on 9-11 for five days. And uh, it's this great musical. I didn't have anything to do with the Broadway show, but I got to make the movie of it. And we went there for four days. I had, I was vaccinated. I had to be quarantined for 48 hours. You know, all the food had to be catered. Anyways, it was a million dollars extra for a four day shoot. That's what it cost. We had to buy at a hotel. We had, you know, we were walked to and from the theater, you know, we ate out of boxes, you know what I mean? Like just, so, so unfortunately for me and for everybody else, it's just added an enormous, an, a huge cost and a risk level to making, to making things. So I'm not sure that we're getting you were still getting made the level of, of things we would have made. It's, it's, you know, unfortunately the financiers have to really want to make something because it's costing them more. Right. Are there particular stories that would only work in, in cinema and others that would only work on streaming? And, and how do you weigh that when you're, you know, when you're choosing a project to take on and, and bring something to life? That's, it's a great question. And I think, you know, you'll have, you know, there's no finite to it, but like the things that people still, like you look at Spider-Man, obviously did incredibly well in the theater. So people still like the event. They still like Marvel and spectacle and, and, you know, you can't get that the same as your house. Right. So there's that. Then there's, um, 
I think there's, you know, what I consider a date night movie. So you still, it's weird on a first date to be like, hey, come over on my couch and watch Netflix and chill. I think that comes later in a relationship. So those could be horror films. Uh, people like horror, you know, if you're a horror fan, you know, people like the collective experience, the scares, all that kind of stuff. And that kind of falls into that. Con and, and perhaps some comedies will survive. And then for the kind of date night, as I call it, or a need to get out of your house. And then the last sort of, for me, I look at the last sort of sub is, um, family films so like you have a five-year-old the disney channel is just not going to cut it like you want to get them out you want to see you know encanto you want to you know which you know you can't or you know despicable me and take them to lunch and and that so i think those are kind of the big banners of things that you know still play theatrically i think the rest is a real question mark before covid i made uh, a film with a i think a really beautiful film with ben affleck called the way back that's about um uh, he's a basketball coach, but it's also about addiction. And when we were filming it, I remember thinking even then, and we filmed it in the end of 2018, I thought, wow, this is probably the last adult-driven drama I'm going to get to make for the theater because it was still a theatrical film. It came out, we came out March of 2020. We played for a, two weeks in the cinema. Everything shut down and it went on, it went on streaming, you know, it went on, it went on everything and then you could buy it. And in truth, it was really an example of like that kind of film. I don't think I would ever get to get made for a theatrical reason again. I think it would, it would, again, it would fall under the adult driven dramas. I think have definitely gone to the streamers. Do you think live or in-person cinema is going to return um, when we get into I, a new normal? I hope so. I hope that there's a I know that, that I would like to go. I think that there, I hope that when you feel safe and it's hard because we had so many stop starts with COVID, you know, that you'll have a desire to want to be out in the world that we've all, we've all Netflix and chilled a lot in that. And like, you know what I mean? And now you're like, let's go out to dinner and let's see a movie and let's see friends and let's be among people because there is it's such a difference. You'll know too, when you see a movie in a theater versus watching it on TV, we're just watching it on an airplane, right? Like there's all these different ways we, we, we I hate to call it content, but we, we absorb content, you know, and, and there's just nothing is the same as a theater. You not looking at your phone, you're watching a big screen, the sound and everything like that. And the collective experience of hearing or feeling the energy of people around you. It's just, it's just not the same. You know what I mean? It's just not unique. And I, so I, I do hope people will go back and I do think at least some people will go back, you know? Right. Well, what's the most gratifying part of your job? You've, you've, produced films and television series in multiple different genre what what brings you the most joy and fulfillment uh in in projects that you're looking at uh for me i think it's when i actually get something made you know i work in development for so long on things i work on the scripts and television shows have outlines and you're getting notes and all that. And you're fine. And when you finally get to put it together i think that like first day of filming it's interesting you don't have that you know by the time the movie premieres, you're, you've moved on. So I think it's that, for me, it's that first day of filming when I walk around and I think, wow, I helped make this happen. I helped employ, all these people are here because I didn't give up on this script or this project. Like for me, that's the most satisfying thing is actually getting to see it come to life. Um, and I think when I got to do the Oscars, that was incredibly special because that was the only thing I've ever done that's live. 
you know, we were, it's funny, we work on things for so long as producers, you know, years on scripts. And then they film, like I said, the way back, we shot at the end of 2018. It came out the beginning of 2020. That was just because they were waiting for the date, you know. So, you know, your friends were always like, what is that thing? What do you do? Like, how long does it take? You know, why is it done faster? You know, because you, you finish shooting and you edit and sound and mix and marketing materials. And it just, ta everything takes so long. So the, the, the fun of the Oscars was, just, I had never done anything live like that, where it's like three, two, one, and you're on. And like, no matter what, it has to be ready in that moment. That was, those two shows were incredibly uh, exciting for me in a different way. Well, following up on the Oscars, of course, in 2017, um, right at the end, uh, the Best Motion Picture Award. And um, uh, of course, La La Land was called to the stage and actually Moonlight, one, what were you thinking uh, as that was going on, and how what did what changes did that lead to in 2018 and beyond? Well, you know, it's so crazy because as the producer, you're responsible for so much of the show, but I'm actually not I wasn't responsible for anything to do with the you know the the secrecy of the nominee. You know, I don't know who we don't know who won or anything like that. Uh, but I was backstage, um, but not. Uh, the, the stage backstage is quite large. And so the producers have kind of a bank towards the side of, of monitors, which we can watch things. And we have hotlines. We have microphones, kind of like the one I have headsets on. And, you know, the show was done because that's best picture was the last award of the night. It had just been over midnight in New York, which is when you want to end your show. So we kind of got to our last commercial break. ABC kind of pressures you to hit your last commercial break before midnight, which we did barely. By se so I was just feeling, you know, victorious and great. Somebody had put, literally, someone put a glass of champagne in front of me. It's such a long day anyways. You've been up since five in the morning. You know, it's it's nine o'clock. You feel like you've lived for life. And then I heard screaming headsets. And I was, I couldn't, I couldn't, it was like slow motion for me what happened. But I think, obviously, everybody kind of knows the story. There's accountants that are responsible for this. And he, there was one of the accountants, there's accountants on to both sides of the stage. And he, uh, you know, gave, handed the wrong envelope and, and I think Warren and Faye were, um, you know, confused in the moment of why they had a card that said Emma Stone La La Land on it. So they they read La La Land, you know, as the winner. Like it was just a perfect storm of yeah. of, 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 of things going wrong. But now now they have a third accountant in the booth with the director who also who knows the winners and can easily tell the director in the booth if there's a problem. So. Hopefully that will never happen again. But it was it was a crazy, it was a crazy time. It took a it took like days to digest what happened. <laughs> well, the only thing I guess we can ultimately predict in life is that it's gonna there's gonna be an element of unpredictability in everything. Well, that's the fun of live television. And in truth, I mean, it's painful because obviously I really loved our show that year and I thought it was really beautifully done. I thought Jimmy Kimmel did a great job, but it's so funny because out in the world, people are like, oh, you did the Oscars, you know, which were your shows? And I go, the envelope and the one after it. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, <laughs> for, for better or for worse, I'm married in time to this very uh, crazy night. But, you know, that's what's exciting. And I think when we talk about, you know, movies and tv and content now like that's what's great about live like you can't you know it was like the streaker years ago with david niven or you know what i mean like there's just that's the that's why people in truth want to watch live tv is to see what happens you know sure we both are in professions where we have the privilege of working with amazing people and and so much of what we do as leaders is really dependent upon the people around us and one of your important responsibilities as a producer is, of course, 
to pick those people uh, at various different levels. What do you look for, and um, how has that changed over the years as you've become more and more experienced as a producer and perhaps had the benefit of, of knowing that some of the decisions uh, didn't work, but others worked phenomenally, and so that impacts how you make decisions in the future about the people you choose for various roles. Yeah, it's very interesting. I always say that I don't really have any talent myself, but my 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 spy, my super skill is picking talented people. You know, um, like I said, it's okay that I don't do it, but I I can recognize it in other people, and it's interesting. I mean, I feel really fortunate that I get to do what I do for a living, and that I get to work with the kind of people I do. And it's kind of across the board, whether it's writers or directors, or then it's the crew people, it's the crew members, it's the actors. And I can't tell you, like, it's not one specific thing. It's that it really, I think, goes across all walks of life of people who are, who care and are incredibly passionate. And like, no matter what your job is, if you do it with a lot of um, love and skill, um, you know, you're bound to be good at it. You know, I think that the business is really hard. Our business is very difficult. So if you're not crazy in love with it, you shouldn't do it because it's, you know, it's just too hard. There are easier things in life than, than trying to do this. So I think you have to be a little nutty to start with, you know, you, but it has to be that thing that you wake up and it drives you more than anything else, you know? And I think those are the people who, who really, um, get great at what they do and then, and then thrive. And I think if you're half in half out, you'll never, whether you're an actor or a makeup artist or whatever, it's just never going to work. You know, you just kind of have to want to kind of live it and breathe it. You know, I think that's what makes the difference, especially in a creative business. And then I think as a manager, it's about kind of mixing people up and not trying to hire the same type of person too many times over. Cause you can kind of, you know, when you're building a team, I think it's very important that you can recognize all the different skill sets, you know, even I used to work, um, produce with my sister and sometimes we occasionally do. And it's funny because even though we're sisters and our taste is really aligned, our skill sets really different. And we would divide and conquer a bit on movies, you know, and people would do that. So we would actually try not to do the same aspect of the job because it felt there was enough to do that. We would kind of, you know, split it up. It was interesting, even as a family, you know, it was like, Oh, you do that. I do that kind of thing. So I think that that's, really important is to kind of avoid the redundancy. Sure. COVID, of course, has been stressful on everyone. And certainly it, it, it's been stressful in the entertainment industry where for so long it was hard, as you were describing, uh, just to get things done because of all the restrictions and understandable health concerns. You, you mentioned the importance of, of a real sense of passion and, and you look for that in the people uh, that you bring on to the various roles in your films and, and other productions. Has that passion been affected by all the uncertainty uh, that we've lived through and that we continue to experience? Or is it still burning strongly in, in the people that you surround yourself with? I think their passion is still, is, is still there. I think the circumstances have made it really hard. It's like, it's interesting. You're, we're a creative business. And even when you're there, you're forced to you know, even when you're trying to create, you're forced to wear masks. Of course, you know, this is just, you know, this, but like harder to see people's, you know, behaviors, starting to hear their energy. It's just, it's very hard. I think even from, you know, when you're making something, it's just got that much harder for the actors. My husband's an actor and last year he was doing a, a film and he was saying it was so strange as an actor to be the one on set when everyone else around you is in face shields 
you know, and then you have to, you, if he felt very vulnerable in the moment because you're like, oh my God, am I going to get, you know, this was before the vaccine. So, you know, before am I going to get COVID? And then also you're just like communicating with people and you're, you're trying to read their energy and, and everyone's, you know, it's just, it's not, it seems strange. And then obviously, obviously the, you know, for actors and scenes, they have to actually touch people and be around them and pretend like life is normal. It's even more acting than usual. And I think from my side, like what I do since I've been, when I'm not filming, I'm doing so much of my work on Zoom. And I'm curious, I'm sure, I mean, the way this has affected everybody, but again, we're like, we're cracking story or we're doing jo and like all the personal aspects of it are kind of out the window. Like you drop into a Zoom, you're like, okay, great, pitch your story, you know? And it sounds dumb, but you're like, I miss the walking in with the writer and saying, how are you feeling? Da, da, da. Okay, yeah, this is what we're pitching to. And da, 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 this is, you know, and then walking out and you kind of have your, you know, your download and your kind of personal aspect to everything. And now it's just like 8 a.m., 9, 10, Zoom, Zoom. You know, I, I really, really miss the personal interactions. I do think it has an effect on the creativity. I really do. I don't think, but I don't think it's affected anybody's wants for it. I just think it's made it harder for us to kind of do what we do well, you know. understand. I know that men have traditionally been overrepresented in film and television production. And you mentioned your sister before, and you've, you've done some projects with your sister. But what's been your experience as a woman leader in this field? And have you seen things change over time? And what needs to change in the future? It's changed tremendously in my life, in the time that I've been in the business. And when I when I started out as an assistant working for, for male producers, I just didn't, I wasn't even sure that I would ever get to be one because there were so few then. It was really a very different dynamic. I always joke that I think that women actually make great producers because producers are kind of project managers and we, we juggle a lot at once. And I just think women are geared for that. I think we're biologically, you know, we're supposed to be like, we're, we've got a baby on our hip and we're making dinner and we're doing all those things. And I think it kind of applies to movies. I think I have to manage a great amount of people and kind of kept my ego aside. And I just think, I think women might be better at it than men, certain jobs. But I think that it's definitely changed tremendously. Producing is a field where there's many, I mean, there's, I think the numbers have got, got, gotten quite good for women. I know in the academy, we look all the time at like membership. I think there's certain fields that are, that are still making up. I think directing is obviously one that people are really focused on and, and women are, are um, starting to become much more represented, given much, many more opportunities. Cinematography is one that's interesting and it has to do with like the like, you know, old fashioned, like carrying camera equipment, but we're seeing more women in that, but it's definitely taken a big leap forward. Not only that, but also at the studios, the people who say yes to your movies, right? You know, when you're trying to finance a movie, whether it's a studio or finance, those were mo almost entirely men when I started. There was one kind of one woman at each studio, and now it's much more representative. That's great. Well, congratulations on the role you've played in helping bring about that change. What well, you must mentor young people who are interested in producing or directing, what, what advice do you give them? And what pitfalls do you advise them to look out for as they're planning their careers? Well, it's so hard being a, trying to be a full-time producer is a really difficult job because, you know, you're not, you know, you're kind of, most of producers are freelance and you're working project to project. And a lot of questions I get are people, young people who come to me and they're like, I've produced my first movie, uh, while I still was doing this other job, should I quit and now be a producer? You know, and I'm like, I can't tell you because I can't tell you what you're going to get done. I don't want you to starve, you know? 
I think it's really, I try to tell them kind of where we started, which is like really take on the things you feel passionately and be about and that you know you can see through. Don't try to pick something just because you think other people are going to like it because I think that's really hard to to see through. You know, I think that it's, there are, like I said, there are many very successful horror movies that I don't wouldn't know how to make. And, you know, I'm like, okay, you know, great for them that they can do that. That wouldn't be my skill set. I wouldn't bring a lot to that, you know, so I don't think that would be for me. But yeah, I think it's like, real determination. And also I think really trying to keep aware. It's like the business is like all these businesses, very who move my cheese every day. You're like, well, who's making what? And like I said, it's, it's changing very much. All these, these, these streamers, most of them are very new and, and it's so, so it's like trying to figure out what you want to make and how it overlaps in the system. You know, it's like, where does that go? I, I was looking, you know, I was just talking to a, a writer, who I love, we've been working on the, a, a musical idea. And he said, you know, is anyone going to make it? And I was like, oh, I think, I think we could make it at a streamer. I don't think we could make it as a theatrical film, you know? Um, but I do think there's appetite and I think it's important for the young people to really kind of, you know, read the trades and kind of talk to their friends. And it's a lot about kind of tracking where the market's going, if that makes sense, you know? Sure. Sure. And on that topic of where the market is going, of course, we're we're all trying to discern the longer term ramifications and effects of the pandemic, and we're we're seeing a lot has been written about the Great Resignation. Uh, still uncertainties about long term COVID and its health effects. How does that affect what you may be thinking about in terms of future projects or storylines that will be meaningful uh, to audiences in the future? Given that it seems like one of the long-term effects of the pandemic may be a shift in what people seek in their entertainment. And, and how have you started to dissect that? And is that affecting your decision-making on projects? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you're spot on. There's two things, which is like, can I, how painful is this to make if there's a COVID, right? Like there's certain things that feel more contained and more, uh, uh, you know, or do I have to go to you know, Romania to make something in, in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, pe and people did. I mean, they, you know, people kept making things, like I said, just under a really harder, really much harder um, conditions. I hope that there's like a post-COVID um, renaissance. You know what I mean? I hope we can have like in art in general, not just film, but in all kinds of art, I hope that we can come out of this kind of darkness and really be inspired to create at a, at a higher level than we've ever been able to do before. That's my, that's my wish for the business, you know, that we can have kind of the seventies, you know, there were a great time in, in cinema, like we can, you know, kind of have a revolution and do that. But I also think personally, I realized that during COVID and all the uncertainty that I was really drawn towards and, and people watched it all. But I think sometimes you were like, with age too, you like, you know, you want to make some levity, you know, you want to make some comedy, you want to make, you know, I watched, uh, I don't look up over the break, which I loved. Um, and I just was, I realized I just needed a release, you know, and I thought, Oh God, I realized, you know, how important co kind of comedies and lighter material can be too. Like we're always going to make it all. But I think me personally, I I'm excited. I have a TV show that's going to start in June. That's a, a musical half hour romantic comedy. Um, and I thought, Oh, so, you know, this will be a fun, this will be a fun world for me to live in and then to bring to the world for a little bit, you know? Sure. Well, topics related to diversity and inclusion are 
on all of our minds in, in society today. And, and, and I think they've been heightened. Their importance has been heightened because of COVID, because we've seen uh, the disparate effects of COVID on communities of color and, and so many other ways, drawing out uh, the injustices and inequities in society. How do you think about those topics in in the programming that you're uh, that you're looking at or in the storylines that you're developing? Um, and how do you see the receptivity of society to those topics and to their incorporation into what we had traditionally called entertainment? Um, how is that perhaps going to change in the future? I think it'll continue to be, I, you know, I, I think Hollywood is, is, is pretty good about being early adapters to things. And obviously I think that, you know, we did grow, you know, there, there was a lot of work to be done, but I think it's getting done there. I think we are making a lot more, um, movies and television that feel more inclusive. I think we're much more aware of that. I think in the times that I was filmmaking and it's not just the filmmakers, the studios too. Um, everyone's sort of challenging us to look at look at our casting, look at our our crews, <coughs> and not look at our subject matter. And there's so, you know, it's interesting because sometimes you want to make content that's about the challenges, and sometimes you want to just make things that have representation that aren't deliberately about a racial, right? You know, you just want to see people in you know in romantic comedies that are of different backgrounds you know i mean it's not always about the the telling stories are important but also just seeing them represented in all kinds of entertainment is very important i'm really proud of the academy that we we just we adapted these guidelines to where you know but when you're going to make a film we have a certain kind of um sort of standards of, of of making sure you've interviewed enough people from diversity backgrounds and that you have hired enough people, whether it's behind or in front of the camera so that the movies always feel more inclusive. So it's not just the uh, in front, but like it, in back in the making of the film as well, uh, which I think will be great moving forward. And I think then hopefully we can, we can get the level of equality to be much stronger. Technology has changed all of our lives. Um, I, I know it's affected your, 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 your life and your business in in film and uh, and other uh, broadcast media. Can you describe over the course of your career uh, how you've implemented technology in in your productions? How that's affected your staffing? And are we going to move to actually having much smaller a much smaller workforce? In, in the film industry uh, because more and more will be done by technology or how, do, how does all that sort out for you as, as you look at, at the work you're doing today and perhaps projecting forward in the next decade? Yeah, there's so many levels to it and how much has changed in my lifetime when working in film. And, you know, when I started working in movies, everything was shot on film. It was pretty digital, you know, and everything digital changed a great deal, especially with the camera, with the sound work, with the visual effects. But it still takes a village to take a, to make a movie. And I think that what I love about where the world has gone is the freedom in which other people can, which anyone can make a film because you can make a film on your iPhone now and it'll look pretty good, you know, and, and that's an amazing freedom so that you don't have to be in USC film school. If you're a kid at, you know, somewhere else in the world and you're dying to make a film, you can make something of that. That wasn't available when I was a kid, you know, like you couldn't do that. You had to, you needed a camera and it was expensive and it was heavy so I love what technology has done with that. And obviously, like I said, you know, movies go to festivals all the time that are shot on phones now. It's like, it's crazy. So I think that that's 
amazing, an amazing equalizer for the business. I personally, because I'm of a certain age, sometimes I, I, I still prefer, uh, sometimes effects to be a little bit more practical and less virtual. You know, sometimes movies start to look like video games to me, but I think younger people, it doesn't matter because they grew up playing, playing these video games that, uh, you know, that look like that. So for me, it's like, I think about like the alien coming out of the stomach in alien and how, how visceral it felt because it was done with like cornstarch and a fake alien. It wasn't done, you know, with a, with a computer effect. And for me, it has an emotional, a different kind of emotional response when I watch a movie, when I know something feels a little bit realer. Um, so I think that's always a question mark for, from me, I, like I said, I, I, I'm of a certain generation of that. And so sometimes I think that I can watch some of those movies and the sheen of too many vis effects and all that kind of take me emotionally, make me a little bit more distant from the film. Um, but, you know, obviously there's a demand for a lot of that and, 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 the, and the visual effects are, are getting kind of better and better and maybe they'll be able to kind of to find the, the, the middle ground. I think it's also, we're also dealing with this thing like I said, not in the theater, but when you're watching at home and on the Oscars, they would talk about it a lot too, of like second screen. So you, we generation, generationally now have people who do, who, who watch their phone and the television at the same time. It's just <laughs> like, it's, it's a, you know, I don't know if it's Gen Z or whatever you want to call it, but like, they're very used to the multiple screens at once thing, which is just kind of terrible, but it is, you know, it is going to, it's the way they're dying you know, digesting content for lack of a better term, you know, and, um, and that's just something you have to kind of bear in mind when you're, when you're making things, I guess. Sure. On a global basis, what do you think Hollywood's position globally in film and entertainment will be a decade from now? Do you, are there particular areas in other parts of the world that you're watching carefully or, or that perhaps that you're involved in as, as a producer, you know, outside of Hollywood, outside of the United States. Uh, but what does the global landscape in terms of film and uh, media production look like in the next days? Is it going to grow to be a higher proportion of overall content or, uh, or not? Uh, it's hard for me to predict where we'll be in 10 years. We've, uh, you know, the U S we've always been the, very at the forefront of, of, of filmmaking and storytelling. And I think we'll continue. It's just interesting with, and, and that yet I always like, you know, there's, there's strong storytellers everywhere. And a, a lot of times at this time of year, my favorite films are some of the international films and the way they're, um, they're people to be content, but their businesses tend to be quite smaller than ours as sort of their, you know, whether, you know, I just watched the worst person in the world, which is a Norwegian film, which is beautiful, you know, but they, they're not making the kind of amount of films and things that we are. But I think the biggest thing is really China and the theatrical business there and the way the model is set up of like, there's a lot of money to be made there for the American film market and they only take a certain amount of films. And so there's a very, it's a, it's sort of a political scramble of, of what films get to, to get to show there. And I can't imagine that diminishing in the years to come, uh, you know, given China's population and, um, desire for to see things, obviously, depending on what happens with COVID. But, you know, I think that's really the biggest international piece of business in the, in the you know, I mean, and obviously, you know, we, we sell our movies and we show them globally. And I saw a really great clip of somebody who had, was, you know, on uh, the other day that was showing Voldemort 
in all his different languages, you know, dubs, you know, him yelling and like, you know, for, for when it goes internationally and, you know, all these actors have to, you know, dub the film in their own languages and everything like that. It was very funny to see, but it's still, it's still, you know, made by the U S and then sent out in the world. In thinking about those global markets and in particular China, what type of stories and content um, are are appealing uh, in that market? Well, it is the sort of big blockbuster. I mean, I think that, you know, the Spider-Mans and the Marvels, I think, are really the the biggest draw there for sure. You know, I think it's sort of our, our, our big frame entertainment, which is why those movies will be the most consistent ones to keep getting made, right? They'll... I think the you know the Marvel films have just been more and more successful, and since they drive so much internationally as well. Sure. Maybe turning to um, a final topic here on leadership, more broadly speaking, and I'm curious. And we've touched on this a bit in our conversation, but how have your thoughts and your approach to leadership changed because of the past two years of, of COVID and? How has how will that shape you as a leader uh, moving forward in your producing career? Uh, I don't know if I quite know yet. Part of me it, like yearns for the normalcy of it, but I think that like everyone, we're also looking at the way we did business, and I know it will change. For you know, and as I said, I complain about zooms, but you know, before COVID, we kind of ran around and did a lot more in person. We jumped on planes for scouts and meetings at like a moment's notice. And I can't imagine that that won't change. And I think from a leadership position, it's really about, I do think the one, like really looking at what has to happen and it happens in the most efficient way possible will definitely change because we were just like, I'm sure so many businesses and so many leaders you talked to another bit, we were kind of used to the way things were. And once it was taken down for COVID, you know what I mean? When you're building it back up again, maybe that will be the upside of COVID is we'll be able to kind of make our plan stronger, not send someone somewhere for no reason. You know what I mean? Not maybe be like, you know what, instead of driving across town, let's save everybody some energy, jump on a zoom, you know, all of that kind of stuff. I think that will be integrated. Um, but you know, when you're actually, making something it still has to be made the old-fashioned way with like you know people live in person although in truth you can edit by you know you know a lot of times people are doing their post-production differently so almost every aspect is touched by it except for the actual filming that you kind of have to be there with you know actors with makeup on and you know <laughs> a camera running and you know someone keeping the cars from driving by the street you know like that's it just that part has to kind of stay i think relatively the same that makes a lot of sense. I know we're, we're certainly doing a lot, doing a lot more virtually than we thought we ever would. Of course, there are telehealth appointments that were very, very rare prior to COVID nineteen that now account for maybe thirty, forty percent of outpatient visits. And when we're doing, you know, searches, faculty searches, leadership searches, now the initial interviews, the initial discussions are all done virtually and. Uh, in fact, we even, during the height of the pandemic, went through an entire hiring process for a senior leader without the person ever coming to our campus, uh, except that they had been to our campus on previous occasions prior to this search. So would have never thought that that could occur, but um, but it is. And, and I think, like you were for us, uh, things like symposia and, and seminars uh, can work pretty well in the virtual world. And by the way, if the speaker is in Berlin, uh, it, um, it's, it's, it's a lot less uh, wear and tear 
to be doing it uh, in the Zoom world than it is making a trip back and forth for for a, a seminar and visits with faculty. So I think there'll be some enduring long-term and liberating effects, as you were describing for your industry. But um, there'll be things that we all explore and learn in real time moving forward, I think. Yeah. You, you know, you would have flown these people in much without thinking kind of, or they would have come in and now you can think yeah. about it. But, but I think, but you know, when we do get to be in person, it's still, uh, it's still great. So it's like, you want to have some kind of combination of, of what it was and what it can be without it. You know, you know, like I said, it's sometimes just, there's nothing that can replace the kind of, you know, you know, just emotional, you just read people differently when you're in person totally. with them, you know, so it's, it's a combination. Well, lastly, if I might ask, what projects do you have in the pipeline? Well, I'm really excited. Uh, I have a show that's on Showtime now called City on a Hill with Kevin Bacon. We're shooting its third season. Um, it'll be on later this year. Uh, it's a Boston crime drama that's set in the 90s. So if anyone's seen that and then I'm starting, like I said, I'm starting another television show uh, in June for Hulu, it's eight episodes. It's called Up Here, and it's a it's a musical. It's funny enough; it starts in the late '90s. I guess we're all doing period stuff, but um, so that that won't be on Hulu probably till 2023. But we start shooting in June, so I'm excited to to get back to uh, to production. So wonderful. Well, Jennifer, congratulations! Thank you for all that you do. Uh, all of us have enjoyed, learned from been stimulated by your productions and we look forward to many many more in the future oh that's so kind thank you and thank you for listening to the minor consult with me stanford school of medicine dean lloyd minor i hope you enjoyed today's insightful discussion with emmy nominated film and television producer jennifer todd we'll be back next week with more groundbreaking and brilliant guests as we continue to look at leadership during a once in a generation crisis Please send your questions by email to theminorconsult at theminorconsult.com and check out our website, theminorconsult.com, for updates, episodes, and more. To get the latest episodes of The Minor Consult, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate the podcast five stars. Your feedback helps make this podcast happen. Thank you so much for joining me today. I look forward to our next episode. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and be kind.